I haven't done that for, I don't know, when I've been just in the moment for, fuck, I can't even think. There's so much shit going on in the back of your mind now, your phone's buzzing. You, you never just, like it's rare for you to be just solely focused on something. So, yeah, it was really special just being focused for that long um, and everyone's in the same boat. Like In episode 11 of Trademutt's 120 Grit podcast, we sit down with Sam Chisholm, a chopper pilot hailing from the Red Centre of Australia. Sam has just hobbled into the trade mud office on a set of crutches with a cast on his leg after rupturing a tendon in his ankle while competing in the world's toughest endurance horse race, the Mongol Derby. As it turns out, this is not the first adventure that Chiz has had a crack at. In this podcast, we talk to Chiz about why it's so important to not get caught up in the reasons why you can't do things. Just get out and have a crack at life while you can. Life is too short to live with regrets, and Sam is the perfect example of what you can achieve if you don't put any limitations on yourself. But first, a quick message from our sponsors who make this podcast for the working class possible. Quotespec is the newest building and construction quoting app created and designed by a working builder. Produce job-winning professional quotes in minutes with Quotespec's cloud-based quoting software. Get your free trial at www.quotespec.com and be prepared to get your life back. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Welcome to episode 11 of uh, Trademarks 120 Grit, podcast for the working class. Rough enough to take the surface off without tearing it apart. Boom. We've got a fella <laughs> in here who could have, I reckon, could have done with uh, a few of these tickets right here just recently because he's just come back from the Mongol Derby. The big fella, Sam Chisholm, for episode Legs 11 of the Trademark Podcast. Mate, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me, boys. It's good to be here. Good no, to have you in, mate. No dramas. Yeah, you only cheers. just made it up the stairs there, didn't you? Bit I know. I had to do a bit of, bit of a hop step to get up there. Nearly fell down with my coffee. but So just to paint the picture, Sam's just uh, rolled in here with a set of crutches and cast on his left leg. Yeah. I um, just had tendon surgery last week, so bit steady at the moment, but hopefully they'll give me a moon boot next week and I'll be back to kicking goals. It's getting it all together, mate. Awesome. Yeah. So Cheers comes from the the Red Centre. He's a chopper pilot out there. And if you don't know, they'll probably tell you. Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how you find find a pilot in a room. <laughs> awesome. Mate, uh, so where, where are you from? Uh, grew up on a cattle station near Alice Springs, about 200 k's northwest of Alice. So, um yeah, did school of the air out there and then headed to boarding school when I was 10. Had to put boots on for, for the first time. <laughs> that wasn't much fun, but um, yeah, grew up grew up in the in the proper bush. Awesome. Yeah. How, uh, what do you say, 200 k's from Alice Springs? Yeah, 200 k's on the Tanami Highway. Yeah, um, so middle of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, depends how you, <laughs> how you, how look, you, at it. How you look at it. Pretty peaceful there's, out there. Yeah, that's right. There's people further out than us too, so... We were pretty close by all all accounts. Two hours into town to get the groceries wasn't too bad. Yeah, nice. Mm. So, so you went to went to boarding school. Whereabouts in uh, whereabouts did you go to boarding school? Uh, I went to Tudor House down at uh, Barrel for two years, and then Kings after that. So oh, Sydney boy, Sydney, yeah, all Kings, relatable. Yep. I went to St Pat's. You probably wouldn't know St Pat's in Strathfield. Uh, it's a bit lowbrow. I reckon. I reckon we played footy at the the preseason games. We, we, yeah, you'd play then. They're pop. We played Kings a few <laughs> times. Yeah, just small I, fry. I was in the I was in the lower grades, but yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> probably why I was in the higher grades. So, <laughs> yeah, cool, mate. King of the eighteen A's. Yeah, right. The social team. Yeah, nice. So, so were you always going to become a chopper pilot after school? 
Yeah, I think so. I sort of I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but um, I like I always had that growing up. There was always helicopters out there, and I remember pinching Dad's beers to give to the pilots so they'd take me for a fly. I was always pretty obsessed with helicopters, so I think it naturally fell into that. I think the old man pushed me in, or sort of opened the door for me there. He said, "Why don't you go and do that?" So that was pretty good. That was probably the best thing. Well, one of the best things I've ever done. Um, I ended up. Did my license, uh, cool and gather, and then drove up to the Kimberley. I had a tentative job offer, and I I got there with I think I'd got to Kununurra with one hundred and fifty two dollars left in the bank account, so I had to get a job one way or another. And um, the the bloke that I was working for, Lindsay Ward, he said, "Oh, you got all your gear packed?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I only just got here." And he goes, "Oh, we'll only be gone a couple of months," and we headed out bush. So yeah, it, it all worked out. I ended up with a mustering job there, and. Stayed up there for the next uh, five or six years. It was yeah, yeah. Wow, good. big stint. Yeah. How did you yeah. find? How did you find that? You know, finally getting your opportunity to be a full time chopper pilot. Was oh, it everything you expected it to be? I was pretty like I was pretty useless to start with. I, I um, it, yeah, it was tough, but it was good. I had a really good crew around, and they sort of they don't put too much on you when you're just getting out of your license. Um, and I was eight, I was eighteen when I got there, so um, pretty very ba- green, baby faced. Yeah. yeah, people would get in the helicopter with you, and <laughs> they'd give you a sideways look. But after a while, you just get in your rhythm, and um, yeah, everyone. I think the Kimberley, that's all the northern Australia. If you work up there, no one cares really where you've come from or what you've done. Everyone just gives you a crack on on how you how hard you try. I think so. That that is a it's a land of opportunity in that regard. Do you feel like you have to prove yourself doing that kind of work? Um, oh, a little bit, but like I think if you're nice to people, you can turn from, um, you can turn from a, it'll it'll turn on its head from a bad pilot to bad cattle if you you pretty much just got to be nice to the cook and the manager's wife and it's not your problem, it's there. That's exactly <laughs> it's the ground that's stuff, it, not me. It, yeah, if, if the cook and the manager's <laughs> wife like you, then no worries. And you're away. So away. you ended up there five six years, you said, and then you ended up down at Marcus Oldham. How? Um, that transition happened. Oh, so I was in my last year flying up there, I was the operations manager um, for the company, and I I didn't really know what I was doing. I was wheeling and dealing and quoting, and I had no idea actually. Um, so I sort of thought I'd like to do a business kind of course, and then it was actually it was Rue Ballinger who you had on a, a yeah. few po- podcasts ago. He's like, oh, I'm going to Marcus next year, and you should sign up. I was like, oh, I don't think it's really for me, and then thought about it for a bit, um, and then yeah, ended up down there so that was really good uh did the agribusiness course just one year i don't think my liver could have handled another year down there yeah it was me too <laughs> yeah but it, it was great and opened a lot of doors made a lot of sense so i was going to head back up to the kimberley and i did um work prac with amc for charlie bloomfield and he offered me a job and i thought well if i don't go um they were agri consulting i thought if i don't go and do that i probably a might not have the chance to do it again and I'll probably forget everything that I've learned yep. at Marcus. So I ended up working on Queen Street um, for a couple of years, which was a bit of a surprise. Pulled my RMs on every day and got on the bus at Red Hill, <laughs> oh, poked in. Got on the bus, yeah. I actually, as work sort of, we were really busy and I was learning a lot. And then it just got a bit stagnant towards the end of the second year. And um, my my highlight of my day was riding my push bike into Brisbane down the river. And then I'd ride it back again. That was the, the two things I look forward to most was the trip in and the trip, trip out. out. Yeah. And then someone stole my bloody push bike. <laughs> and 
I caught, caught, oh no. Is it calling? I, was, uh, I caught the bus in. I was late. Charlie's like, why are you late? And I'm like, mate, someone stole my push bike. I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I'm going back west. Did you so, feel caged up in Brizzy when you were here? Because obviously, you know, growing up on the Tanami be a bit different to yeah. living in Red Hill. Oh, it was all, it was a bit of a novelty for me to start with, to be honest. Um, and that lasted for quite a while. There was a really good crew here, so you're busy all the time. But um, I started to feel caged. When I, when it when I wasn't being challenged, I think that's when I started to sort of question what I was doing. Get it, got a bit sick of the and the, big, and the old stolen bike life. was just the straw that broke the camel's that, back. That was dead set. The straw that broke the camel's back. Because I was <laughs> ropeable. Yeah. Well, well, you'd probably thank that bloke now that he oh, did steal a bike. I know. I put signs up down at Rosalie going, "Anyone seen my bike?" Like it was, <laughs> I was going to kill him if I found him. I looked on Gumtree for about three weeks, and then I just I packed all. I wonder what where the, what that bike is doing now. Is it still going? Still kicking? Oh, Does the same thief still getting around? <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to know. I'd, I'd buddy. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know too. Yeah, yeah. yeah buddy. I'm coming for you. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> down the barrel. Down the barrel. <laughs> Watch out. So you, uh, so you, then, then you headed back out, uh, back out to the Red Centre. Yeah, headed back out to um, to the home block to Napperby, and um, I was oh, the old man had a knee operation, so I was giving him a hand there, and um, my cousin and I we bought a few cattle together, and. Um, I was flying as well for Helimuster. I had one of their helicopters, so that was that was good because the old man and I like working together. I think we must be both as stubborn as each other or something. But it's um, a lot of those father son combos. Yeah, yeah. So it was good having that helicopter because I could just get away. And then yeah, James and I with our cattle, we sort of we were pretty lucky. We got a, a paddock next door to home, so it was nice and close, and we got a good deal. Um, on the cattle and we got rain and everything was just like it was one day a week and we could go out there and that was really good and i i went and did this trip to um my two mates i don't it was a i found out about it i looked in my phone after a night at the paddo or something like that and, and someone had written down in their mongol rally and i was like oh what's this thing and looked it up and it was, it was a car rally from london to mongolia and you had to, or to russia sorry through mongolia and you had to Raise a thousand dollars for charity. Um, it had to be under a thousand cc car, and cost the car had to cost under a thousand dollars. So I got two mates, Pat Kenny and um, James Thomas, and we headed over to London and bought this car off a Nigerian businessman for <laughs> five hundred bucks. It was a Peugeot two hundred six. Was that an above board transaction? That was a <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice Peugeot, mate. I think they're still chasing us for regos and fines that we didn't pay in London. Um, and I, I, that was only a six-week trip, not long enough, but it gave me a good taste of um, – we, we drove all the way. We blew the car up in Mongolia, hit a rock in it. Oh, we, the clutch had shit itself in Kazakhstan and the dodgy work to fix it, it was leaking oil and I ripped all the sensors out when I hit a rock about 3 o'clock in the morning driving along and I went to sleep in the back and woke up and she was – Black Betty, we called the car. Black Betty just had, they had the bonnet up. James is under the hood. He's pretty handy on the spanners. And he's like, mate, that's she's cool. She's dead. So we hitchhiked to Russia um, and then I got back and I met this bloke on that trip uh, riding a motorbike around. I thought that, that's a pretty cool thing and it sort of sparked an idea. And I said to James, um, a cousin and business partner, I was like, mate, I sort of want to go on a motorbike trip and I was 20 – nine I think and I, I just thought to myself if I don't do it now I'll never get the opportunity to do it and so with his blessing I, I headed off to South America it was sort of 
it was a bit rec- a bit of a reckless thing to do where we were at with the business and everything was going good, but I thought this is just the last opportunity I'll have to go. You just needed and that break or get away and do something that you wanted to do. Yeah, and I thought James grew up in Sydney um, and he, he sort of ended up coming up to Alice for a sabbatical um, from he used to be a logistics manager at Grain Corp and just fell in love with the territory. And, um, so I thought it'd be a good opportunity for him to flex his muscles a bit with the business as well and um yeah he did a really good job while i was away so i felt it was in safe hands for me to leave as well and um mick corcoran we were he was giving us hand mustering he said what are you doing next year so i'm going to do this motorbike thing he's like oh i'd love to do something like that michael why don't you come and he's like oh this just happened over a few beers one night or something yeah, yeah. says, doesn't it? Literally just a couple of beers and he's like, <laughs> oh, righto. Yeah, okay, I'll come. Done. Yeah, done. So done. he was signed up and then Eusty uh, Hill, he, I'd been uh, harassing him about it for a while because he was at a bit of a loose end. I was like, come on, mate, just, it'll be right. He's like, I can't ride a motorbike. I'll just go and get your licence. You'll be right. And he rings me up literally two weeks. I booked my flights, um, found a couple of bikes over there and he rings me up two weeks before. He's like, I've just done my motorbike licence. I'll, I'll meet you over there. That was that's awesome. So where did you start? Years. Whereabouts did it start in South America? Uh, flew into Santiago, and Mick and I bought two bikes off a uh, couple, Matt and Heather, and we sort of stayed with them for a couple of weeks, and then we rode down to uh, Ushuaia, the bottom of South America. It's about three thousand k's. Met Eusty. Um, as we rode into this town, we could see this bloke ripping around on a motorbike in Wrangler jeans. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, him. That, that's him. That's <laughs> him. Yeah, um, and then yeah, we we. All together, we spent six months and rode up the west coast of um, South America through. I, the boys said, how long do you reckon it will take? I was like, I, I wanted to go up to Alaska. It was probably four months. And in four months, we were still in the country we started in. So, wow. yeah, we um, yeah we just took our time and said, we'll get as far as we can until everyone's got to go home. And uh, Mick went home in when we got to Columbia. Need to go back to work, and then Eusty and I kicked around for another four months, I think, in Central America. Um, and he went home pretty much Guatemalan border, and so he punched up to LA and flew home. And I rode Mexico to uh, Canada to Banff, and I stayed there for the winter, worked there for the winter, um, and then kept going. I got up to Alaska. It was, I think, it was twenty-two months all up, getting up there. It was awesome, good fun. So that Mexico to Banff. You on your own? Or did you ride that? Yeah, yeah, I rode that on your own. On yeah, on my own. So I thought, like Mexico, everyone had talked about Mexico, and I think it gets a bad rep because it's so close to the states, and people give it a bad rep. But after going through all those, like El Salvador and Honduras, and my Spanish is it's not great, but I could talk pretty good about motorbikes, especially to mechanics by that stage. Um, had a fair few breakdowns along the way, but it was a bit anticlimactic. Like it's an awesome country and it's beautiful, but I thought it'd be more of a challenge. But I really enjoyed Mexico. Just more of a challenge in terms of the the terrain or the oh, just the, the people and everyone talks about all the drug cartels and you they get pulled up at roadblocks and it's dangerous and all that stuff. Not but, quite like that. Uh, Mexicans are they're bloody. It's probably like Australians family. riding around in kangaroo pouches, isn't it? Like yeah, yeah, that's just right. doesn't actually happen. Yeah, there's doesn't good that? food. The only thing you got to watch out for there is. <laughs> Hot sauce in Mexico. Oh, yeah, that'd double. Well, only on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and take me kangaroo out. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. That's unreal. So you the, the last, what did you say, last few months you were by yourself? No, uh, probably, I, I nearly spent a year by myself. Yeah, right. So yeah. how did you, because that, that's a pretty daunting 
thing for, for someone to be on their own. Did you, you obviously yeah. thrived and, and enjoyed that? Oh, yeah, I did enjoy it, but it was, I missed having mates riding with, definitely was better riding with mates. And you look back at some of the places I went and the experience that I had when I was by myself, I've sort of only got that to share with myself. I can tell people about it, but it doesn't I, really mean the I same. I can yeah. bring you to your mick up and go, hey, remember when this happened and like you have a laugh with it. It was heaps better with someone. Yeah. Put it that oh, way. yeah, always yeah. is. Share the stories. Yeah. Bloody oath. It's good, though. I think it's good for you to go out on your own and just, like, I was sort of, I was a bit apprehensive to start with, but you get a bit of confidence in, in yourself when you go and do something like that. So Probably learn a shitload there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I ended up in Banff. I worked, I did a ski instructor's course. I couldn't really ski. I'd been <laughs> a couple of times and I ended up as a ski instructor on my badge at ski instructor. Where are you from? Yeah. Alice Springs. Alice Springs. <laughs> I had that on my badge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was really funny. And then you're doing training every day and with really good instructors. So I got, and I didn't have a lot of bad habits cause I couldn't really ski. So I think I got better quicker than a lot of, like I caught up a lot quicker anyway. And I did this big mountain course and that was how you jump off cliffs and do stuff. And I sort of, I, I, I think I dropped, jumped off a 15 foot cliff and I was cliff and I was like, fuck, I'm invincible here. <laughs> and week James later, Bond stuff. Week wow. later, went off a cliff, broke my leg. Oh, you're <laughs> joking. Yeah, yeah. How bad? Uh, it was the tibia. It wasn't, it wasn't the really bone bad, sticking out? No. Nah, oh, bugger. Compound. Top of, top of the ski boot. I'd, yeah. yeah, got my ambitions and my capabilities mixed up, that's for sure. Well, was so that your trip finished, was it? Was that no, I had six weeks hobbling around um, on the... Ice in crutches is not fun, but yeah, I was I was good to go after that. So you broke your leg in Canada, and then you've broken your yeah my, done my, a tendon in my adventures. Yeah, yeah come at a cost. Let's so talk you, about that. You've got the scars to show for it, then, eh? Yeah. So yeah. the Mongol the Mongol horse rally. Yeah, what you, is it? Well, what is yeah. it? Um, it's the it's the longest horse race in the world. It's a thousand kilometer horse race um, across Mongolia, across the steppe, and you ride. Um, there's 29 horse stations, so you ride 29 different horses. It's an endurance race for riders, not not the horses. The stations are about 30 or 40 k's apart, which for a Mongolian horse, they're, they're about 12 or 14 hands, so pretty little. But about pony? They're, yeah, they're a pony, but it's survival of the fittest there. Like, they'll go 50 k's to go and get water. They're just the toughest little animals you've yeah, ever okay. met. They don't get brushed and groomed and their feet trimmed. It's just natural selection at work and it's, at yep. its finest. So these tough little horses, they only get ridden three months a year, so they're pretty feral. Um, well, they're semi-wild, really, and they cart you from station to station and you just keep punching along for... I think it took... I finished in eight days across Mongolia. The winner, he was a few hours ahead, but, um, yeah, you ride 100-plus k's a day. And How did you get into it? How did you even hear about oh, it? I, so mates have done it. Todd Cranny, he was the first one that um, told me about it, and I was going to do it with him. And I just, I don't think I had enough money. That was must have been when I was living in Brizzy. Um, yep. Didn't have enough money to to join in, and I sort of had it in the back of my mind. But after how tough he told me it was, I wasn't really that interested. I didn't, I didn't know if I'd have, the, I'd be able to do it. Um, and a few other mates have done it um, in the years gone by, and all of them have finished. Some of them, Will Kamiski, he won the bloody thing and yeah he, that's right yeah yeah he went back for seconds as well uh, the next year and he wrote wow. it in the full mongolian deal really yeah yeah they, they didn't, yeah he's mad that's he's awesome mad. Uh, knowing what i know now like he's even he, he went up in my books i wouldn't do it again um and so my cousin pip uh she signed up for it last year and rang me and said, like oh, i've heard about this race and blah, blah, blah. i was like i knew exactly what she was talking about i, pr- I tried to play dumb <laughs> i didn't want to get involved in it and 
I get FOMO, so she twisted my rubber arm and ended up signed up for it. And then um, the day I was flying out to Mongolia, she rang me and said, I've just come off a horse over here and I've broken three ribs and punctured my lung, so I won't be riding with you. So you're on your own. I was, uh, when, did an Instagram post about it, you know, a week or two ago and I was sort of doing a bit of research into it and it was something like, it was the first, do you know the history of it? It was like a mail route. Yeah, the 13th century, Genghis Khan took over the, over half the world on the back of a horse. Like it's, it's the biggest empire ever and he, I think they raped and pillaged and did a lot of naughty stuff, but there was the fact that they had horses which changed the world. Um, and his messaging system or his postal system was each girl had to have horses tied up there and saddled. So the rider would come flat out ride 30 k's into the into the girl the uru the horse station and then he'd jump off his horse if he was hungry he'd grab a feed they always had something to eat grab a feed jump on the next horse and go flat out so it's the most efficient postal messaging system that they had at the time so yeah, wow. that race um tom from the adventurous who created it uh he he's sort of reviving that culture i guess so it's a pretty it's like a historical type thing and it's yeah, a lot of meaning behind it yeah, yeah. and the the families that are out there, so you stay with the families. If you're at a horse station, they, they're expecting you and they've got food and stuff. Um, if you get stuck between the horse stations, so you can only ride till 8 o'clock at night um, and they'll still take you, ride up to a girl and they'll still take you in and feed you. And the, They don't change anything apart from bringing a few extra horses in. That's just how they live. You, they're not altering their lifestyle for this race. They're They've got a couple of days out of their schedule, but they move four or five times a year. Um, so that's just part of their nomadic route. Like that's the special thing. All the people you're staying with, that's that's just how they... It'd be like riding up to a cattle station. That's just how... So it's authentic. Lives. Yeah, really authentic. Cool. Really, really authentic. Um, and so are you like, are you caning it on these horses? Like how, oh, what's, the, is it, like, no, what's the terrain like? You the know? terrain varies a lot. Uh, it's pretty open, but there's these marmot holes everywhere. So um, the horses... Like if they fall down a mark, they can roll only one girl. Ten minutes in, horse fell down a marmot hole, rolled on it, broke her nose, and she was out. So Ugh, kind of poor thing. Like there's so many hazards on there, but the terrain there's a lot. We were going up mountains, over sand dunes, around big bogs, down rivers. It's just it varies um, a lot. They give you a GPS and, and coordinates, and there's these old Soviet maps, so you can sort of see where the big hills are. But the roads and power lines on there are not on there. That's just complete bogus. You just yeah, you sort of pick the best route and um, hope for the best. Hope for the best. Yeah. You got a GPS as well, right? Yeah, that's so. That's the GPS. Yeah. With them. They've they've uploaded these thirty year old Soviet maps on there, and then wow. you have point to point. So, like because I fly all the time, it, it wasn't that bad. The navigator it, it annoyed me because I'd go, oh, there's a road there, and then you get there, and there wouldn't be one. But um, yeah, I think I was probably I didn't do a lot of riding prep for as much as I'd like. You get there, and there's pro riders, and you feel pretty intimidated. So. Um, I was definitely underprepared in that, but it made up for it a bit in navigating and a few other things. But yeah, wow. So, how how many days did it take you? I finished on the eighth day. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So eight eight days. You came eighth yeah. after eight days. And you're riding yeah. over twelve hours a day, like fourteen. So yeah, days. thirteen and a half hours to ride every day. So they've they've got a really strict um, vetting process. So the horses all get vetted that they're fit enough. They've got to be geldings over five years old um, and sound, obviously, and when you come into the horse state, you have to get the vet to check you out first, make sure there's no cuts or bruises or anything because the horses are fighting and they're out in the wild really. Mm. Um, so make sure the horse is sound, 
saddle it up, get to the next horse station, the the heart rate's got to be under 56 beats a minute. That's so the horse's heart rate. Ho- yeah, 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 definitely yeah. not the yeah. human's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't um, even know what a human heart rate is. Oh, yeah, neither. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you're resting, like you're sleeping yeah. ones between <laughs> 50 yeah. and 60. What do they do? Get the fit. blood pressure thing around the horse's <laughs> arm? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they put the, the stethoscope. Hold the damn thing still. <laughs> well, that's they've got the stethoscope in and they've got to put that against the horse, but they're half wild horses, so... When you got someone up there putting a stethoscope, like a doctor's stethoscope, that some of them don't like it at all. Um, some of them are chill, but that's that's the art in that's the whole horse. experience. Yeah, I suppose, exactly. So endurance riding standards like sixty four beats a minute. So this is it's really low. So you can't just get on your horse and flog it all the way. Um, some of them want to just run, and you got they just bolt for ten k's. You can't pull them up, and then they'll slow up, and um, then you trot down it. Yeah, pretty much. But you've got to, yeah, you've got to manage your horse all the way. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, wow. So yeah. what, physically, what it must take a massive toll on your on your body spending that much time in the saddle? Yeah, for that long. It, it does. That's. I think you've got to be reasonably fit to go in it. But there's no training that I know of that you can physical physical training that can prepare you for that. And the first day, you kind of you're on adrenaline and you're just rolling with it, and it, and it hurts a bit. But that second day. And I was bucketing down with rain and freezing cold, just sapped it clean out of me. I, um, at the end of that second day, I was a wreck and I, I went straight to bed. And I didn't think, I'd, I really didn't know if I'd be able to get up the next day to carry on. And that third day, it just starts getting a bit, it doesn't get easier, but I think your body accepts that. Was it you, the pain, the physical pain you're going through? Yeah. Yeah. And after the fourth day, all that muscle ache and things like that, you body just adapts to it and yeah. you sort of get in a rhythm. I really, the fourth and fifth day, like I could have just kept going like that, I reckon, forever. It felt like. I'd, I'd never pushed my body that far. I'd always pushed to a threshold and I'd never gone on over it. that. Yeah. yeah. And I think stubbornness and um, and encouragement from other riders, that gets you through those first couple of days. And I hurt my ankle then. Like it had just got a bit worse and a bit worse and I tore it on the sixth day a bit. How did you actually do that? I think it's just repetitive strain on it had made it sore and vulnerable um, and probably swollen a bit. And then the horse stood in a marmot hole um, and I put all the weight onto there and just the way it was like rolling your ankle really badly. I, I could just feel it tweak and tear a little bit and I strapped it up. Um, they have really good medics there. They, they, they checked it and said, look, there's not much we can do. Just strap it and try and manage it and rode that sixth day. And um, the seventh or the six or seven, whatever day, towards the end, that last day I was hurting properly um, and got to the horse station, changed horses. So there was two, three legs that day and between the second and third leg, eight k's out, I he, he, the horse went across the road and sort of stumbled and I could feel that just let go, pop, twing and a, yeah. Mm, and just excruciate, yeah. Excruciate, in the middle of Mongolia you know, on yeah, a horse. Eight k's out and I couldn't put my foot in the stirrup um, and I, I just galloped into the horse station without my stirrups. Like a, it was just adrenaline that got me in there. I actually got a vet penalty for that. Um, Frank, this West Texas cowboy that I've been riding, and he he just poked in from the, for the last eight k's, and he vetted straight out. And my horse, its heart rate was sixty, like it was just over. But I ended up with a two-hour penalty, um, and the, I, they said oh, you got to sit here and wait it out. And I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to. Can I sit it out at the end? 
They're like, oh, yeah, you sit it out at the end, no worries. Um, what do you mean by sit it out? You had to stay on the horse. No, sorry, like you, do your penalty, do your, do your penalty oh, time. So it's two hours, and this is the last leg. And we, or I actually rode in um, in third place, I guess. But we'd be sort of riding that oh, chase right. pack was yeah, riding wow. as a pack. Um, we probably would have been, I don't know. Uh, we were all between the front guy and us. There was three hours or something. So I've just got a two-hour penalty. Oh. Um, but I didn't think I'd be able to get back on a horse because I couldn't put the foot in this, couldn't do anything. And um, there was a kid riding around on this pony and I needed something really gentle because the Mongolian horses, are, like I said, they're pretty skittish. You've just got to jump on them and you're rolling. They don't pull up and wait for you to get yourself sorted. As yeah. soon as your leg's on, they're gone. You, you start heading off. And that's the way the Mongolians ride. Um, so I asked this kid for his horse and... He gave me his horse. He held it. We saddled it up. He held his horse and then Frank lifted me on for that last leg and I just rode the last leg with no stirrups. And we rode it. The, there was four people that came third and then Frank was seventh and I was eighth. So Four people came third? Yeah, they all crossed the line together. Was yeah. that like a cute thing that they were doing? Well, they sort of, they did it. Because <laughs> <laughs> so bugger me. You know? I, yeah, I know. First and second, they were ahead of us. By a couple, or like a, a bit, anyway, and um, and then Sally Conway, who's from Tarum, she was riding with with that front pack. We all became really good mates, um, the the chase pack, I guess you'd call it, uh, over over that time. And when people were down and hurting, everyone would drag each other along. So we became like you get best mates out of it, I guess. And um, Sally, who was riding with us on the fourth day. She felt a bit crook, ate something. Everyone gets a little bit crook along the way from just different food and things. And so she didn't drink any water that whole day. And it had been raining and 10 degrees. So um, up until then, you could get away with that. And then it just it got really hot. And she ended up with heat stroke and had a body temperature of 41.7. Um, luckily, when she rode into the horse station, the medics were there and put her straight on a drip and... Um, rushed her into Ulaanbaatar, but like it was touch and go. The medic said it was touch and go whether her kidneys were about to start failing. And I think over 41, your body starts shutting down. So um, they Sally would have been with that pack and they all sort of rode that third thing for Sally. So I guess it was a bit of a cute thing. But Yeah, yeah cool. Wow. Yeah, right. Oh, sweet, sweet. So it's not just the, you know, just the physical toll, but uh, like mentally, we are talking about it before, you know, what was your thought pattern like on this 1,000K journey on this yeah. on these, all these different any, any time for self-reflection yeah oh, what yeah. were you thinking about um no so I, no ipad sore, ipod or anything listening <laughs> sore to. ankle probably yeah. just about oh well, yeah i think that's that's just the thing like um physically it hurts to a point but then it's the mental thing that gets you over that and i originally going into it i thought oh, i'll have heaps of time to think about stuff that's going on at home and this will be like be able to brainstorm <laughs> it I'll, I'll have this whole new business plan <laughs> it'll be like it'll, all these epiphanies and and stuff but Literally, you're just in in the moment. You're not thinking about anything except for that next horse station where you got to go. Not falling into a freaking marmot where hole. Where the bloody the marmot it, holes? Yeah. yeah. How the horse is going? Um, where you like? Yeah. You're just present. That's yeah. yeah wow. You and that doesn't happen often. You don't get that. I haven't been that in the moment, and that was eight days just in the moment. You, and you're not thinking another thought outside of what you're actually That's doing. That's awesome. How did you find that? Yeah, really. Um, I don't like profounds a bit. Probably a bit too much of a. Nah, no, no, mate. Not in the not in the one twenty grid bloody studio, mate. Get that in there. Get, yeah, no, no, it is. It's um, I haven't done that for I don't know when I've been just in the moment for 
fuck, I can't even think. There's so much shit going on in the back of your mind now. Your phone's buzzing. You, you never just, like it's rare for you to be just solely focused on something. So, yeah, it was really special just being focused for that long. Um, and everyone's in the same boat. Like you look over, sometimes you have a bit of a yarn to the person riding next to you or um, see where everyone else is. And a lot of the time you'll look over to see how that fellow riding next to you is going and just focus. Yeah. It's, yeah, present. But that, all that all that endurance stuff, we you know, you hear about that a lot. Like the guy we listened to on Joe Rogan, I don't know if you heard about him. He was in uh, Antarctica. Yeah. And he was the first person to solo across Antarctica on his, yeah, on his own, pulling a sled. Yeah. And he basically, it, oh, something like a month, and he oh, literally... Not the quadriplegic. No, no, not that, that no, no, no. Paraplegic. No, no, no. Yeah. It was this, uh, yeah, it was crazy. And he was literally, it was something like three weeks, and he was just literally staring at the GPS the whole time because there's no tree, there's no nothing, obviously. Yeah. Just ice shelves, yep. and you can't see anything landscape. So he was just in the moment, and it was just unbelievable. The same yeah. thing. It was just profound, his own thoughts. Sometimes you get into, I don't know, I've heard it called this... Um, on the endurance, like those people who run a hundred miles, the pain cave, you get into the pain cave and sometimes you're just in your pain cave and in your rhythm and then you're like, oh shit, I'm at the horse. I better slow up because I'm, I'm at the horse station already and that's 40 Ks and you just, you don't even know where that time's time gone. You've just been in it. And thinking back to the race, I tried to think of it from the first station. I was trying to ride it all. I've just been riding it all down. I started the first station and tried to go forwards and I'm like, I can't remember riding out of that station but if I think about it from the, the end and go backwards I can nearly remember the whole like every it's I can weird, remember the whole thing yeah it's real it's weird but wow. I think just it's in there in your subconscious but it, yeah, for me I just have to work backwards and I can remember the whole lot whole lot so yeah wow. so having that experience of it you know this profound experience where you were just switched off to absolutely everything else out there no phones not thinking about work you were just in the moment yeah something that's you haven't really experienced before was that was oh. that like a bit of a unique experience? Uh, I reckon it's not something I'd experienced before, but I think it's something that's getting harder and harder to find. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. and that's we talk about mindfulness, right? And that's yeah. the basic word for that is being present and not being worried about the future or not being being worried about the past, but just being focused on what you're doing and how important that is for everyone yeah. to to find that you know in your in your in your life somehow because being able to switch off from all that outside all that outside noise it just gives you a chance to to be clear I'd yeah. like to be able to discover and I think it's it's there it's it's possible but I don't think you have to be in such an extreme situation Oh no I mean <laughs> it, it can it be happen. anything from I hope not anyway. anything from mowing the lawn or you know yeah cooking Doing a 12 hour brisket I you know something to me something that you enjoy if you find something you enjoy that's when you can let all that other stuff go and just be really focused right on there with what it. you're doing. Yeah, it has to. And like, I don't, I don't ride that much, and um, horses aren't my like. It's I wouldn't call it my burning passion is horses, but looking back, as much as it hurt, I enjoyed that. And you just doing something you enjoy, you can just let all those distractions. Yeah, go. So, I suppose from the from the chat, we probably work out that you do love challenging yourself. Like putting yeah. yourself out there and having a having a crack, yeah. bit of adrenaline, bit of uh. adrenaline, yeah. So, what is that something that yeah you always had, or something that you just when you were back out at Alice Springs, you're like, oh, I, I just want to go and live a bit more, or go and do something else. Was it sort of something you, you found, or was it something you always um, wanted to do? No, I think I was probably, I think I was, I don't know, it's probably pretty reserved, and a lot of the things where I was 
like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I just had doubts about whether I could do something like that. And probably, to be honest, flying um, probably gave me that sense of you've just got to make decisions on the spot and, and stick with it if it's right or wrong. And um, if you're going to muster a paddock and you go, right, I'm going to take the cattle this way, you just have to make the call. And if it's all going to shit, well, you assess your options and go, right. But you have to be, you just have to jump in to it a bit and make um, a decision and go yeah i think that decision making that that probably helped me um be able to do stuff like this like some things that i do i don't think them through a, a great deal but i'm glad it's let i don't know bad decisions make good stories but it's but you probably yeah back. you probably learn you, you take value out of what you've done and you learn from that yeah i think anyway. you get confidence um and you just start small and i sort of i don't know i think i would have regretted that was probably the biggest driver for me, um, and looking, looking at people, especially mum and dad, they've they've worked so hard their whole lives. But I don't know. I was sort of looking at them, and and I admire them and respect them so much. But I was like, I didn't want to end up getting to where they're at and not having done, done some of these things. Else. And it was probably just if you can put yourself forward and go, okay, in ten years' time, if I haven't done a, f- a few of these things, will I regret it? And I I went. I probably will. So that's kind of that pushed me into it. That's awesome. As well, awesome to think that you just yeah you've well, gone out and done it. It's epic. The whole thing with chopper pilots, right? Is it? I mean, from where I can see it, it's pretty. Uh, it attracts a certain kind of personality as a yeah. job. Like it seems to be pretty uh, sort of a little bit wild and a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a cool job, right? In the in the industry, is that would you would you yeah, agree? Or I think well, from the outside, it definitely is. When you're in there. Um, I know I've definitely had moments where I thought I was a lot better than what I was, but it's it's kind of like you've only, I've had a few mates that ended up crashing, and and that that humbles you pretty quickly. And I think the older you get, or the more experience you get, the more sensible you get. But it definitely um, that lifestyle you're always on the move. It does. It's definitely like it, it attracts a certain kind of person. Um, yeah. You're always somewhere different. You're meeting new people all the time. Uh, yeah, new situations. That's always changing. So that's an interesting point. My brother's a pilot, right? Yep. Commercial airline pilot. And he always said to me when he used to work up in, in Darwin and up in the Kimberley and all that, that uh, you could just get in your plane and fly away. As soon as you're up in the air, It's there's no no other worries. You just go to your next place and it's like whatever's on the ground, you leave it down there yeah. you know, and you're gone. But then the other side of that is, now that he does that, you know, as a as a profession up in Japan, well, he's always he's very unsettled, uh, yeah. and you know that he doesn't always have somewhere to set his roots down, and always living out of a bag and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So I guess there's that side of it as well, right? Yeah, I think that eats away at you. Like I've pretty much since I went went to boarding school, I've more or less lived out of a bag um, since then, and you do. Um, you sort of, I, I've got a bit of a longing to, for, I don't know where, I, cause that, that's one of the problems, being, going everywhere, and I get to some place, and I'm like, oh, I'd like to live there, and then I go back home, and I, oh, I'd like to live here, and I go to the Kimberley, so that um, that's the hardest thing I, I find, but it'd be nice to have somewhere consistent to uh, to lay your roots, I guess, but the career, the career pilots, um, I think that eats away at just looking at a lot of it that have stayed in it too long i think that does eat away at your personal relationships unless you can put your roots down somewhere yeah. so for the long term for me 
yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And like you said, when you just get up in the air and you go, there's no better feeling than that freedom. That, yeah, that freedom. But it comes at a, it comes at a cost. That probably that unsettled. Well, and it's like I guess you know everything has its, you know, its opposite. Like every, yeah. Yeah, every thing's greatest strength, its greatest weakness, or whatever. So if someone used to set their roots and you know have the family and stay put then they miss out on some of those adventurous experiences, right? Yeah. But then if you want to go for the adventurous experiences, then you... It's hard of, to find a balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know, for me, I but, think... But I'm, the memories though, right? I know. And that's it. you got yeah, you got to live a little. Mind. you got to get out there and push yourself a bit. Otherwise, what are, what are we all exactly. doing here? Yeah, well, there's, I, I suppose there'd be plenty of people listening um, to this that would be like, you know, probably got ideas like you've had. But what would you say to them that are thinking about it and haven't gone and done it? Like, what would you say? You know, just go, just get into it because you'll regret it down the track if you don't. And especially a lot of people, when we were doing that motorbike trip, they'd send us emails and messages and go, "Oh, I wish I could do that." Like, well, you can, yeah. You you're can. not, you're not any different than that. Yeah. You just got to do it. You do, you just have to bite the bullet and do it. And we met plenty of people. That was one of the cool things, especially in South America. There was there was a. Uh, German family and they had their one-year-old kid on a push bike and they were riding across Patagonia on a push bike and they're like, it's the best time to take the kids because they can't, they don't know any And different. they can't complain. And they can't complain. They get all these experiences. It's harder, obviously, doing nappies on the side of a <laughs> side of a road with a push bike, but you can do it. And um, everyone's full of excuses why they can't do it, but not excuses why they can. Why do you think, why do you think people come up with excuses not to do it? I think it's just a comfort thing. Um, some things become too hard. Some things like, for me, I know there was a lot of people that when I went over to South America, that expect that, like, what's he, what's he doing now? Why would you go and do that? And you've got all this good stuff going and you've got an expectation to, to build on that. Um, and so it seems like a, a reckless thing, but um, I think it's, yeah, it's worth it every every day. So you've got to... You just got to hook in and and do a few of those things that you think are beyond your reach or your capability. And once the hardest bit, to be to be honest, the hardest bit was taking the first step. I know you hear that all the time in a lot of different things, but once you get the ball rolling, it all the rest is easy. You just go with it. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, once you're in it, you got no choice. So you well, just you just got to go. You guys know that from well, the last well, eighteen months. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> us, mate. Going from building houses to folding shirts, but as soon as, <laughs> as soon as we started, now we're just it's like, well, we're doing this now, so I just got to keep pushing exactly, forward. Yeah. So, go your but yeah, hardest. you're right. It is that first step yeah. pushing out there. And I guess for you, look, what you've done and going overseas and all your experiences. I mean, hey, how are you ever going to find yourself a Mongolian wife unless you go to <laughs> Mongolia? You know, the, the Mongolia. <laughs> That's exactly right. And go in the Derby, and then you know, going overseas to South America and doing all that sort of stuff. I think probably people have this perception that it's a big bad world out there, but yeah, it's people uh, are supportive and people want to help you, and people are friendly in other countries. People are inherently good. That's yeah. what I really found, especially South America. You hear so much stuff, and I think Mum thought I was going to get kidnapped and murdered and never come back, but. Um, some of the countries that people thought were the worst, like Colombia, everyone be careful in Colombia. They were the nicest, friendliest people. Like they stop you and go, "What do you think of my country?" And yeah. people are inherently good. That is epic. They are. That yeah. is fucking awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah, which is so true. And everyone's, trust, yeah. Yeah, everyone's talking about Colombian drug lords. No one's talking about how good the coffee is, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. It's actually it's Australia. We're pretty spoiled for coffee over here. They they do it a bit different. It's a few beans in the pot. But yeah. um, Eusty and I camped on this beach and. Um, in oh, Costa, somewhere, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, maybe. Um, 
And this this guy was like, oh, is there anywhere to camp around here? And he goes, oh, yeah, just camp in my backyard. And he looked after the car park near this resort thing. And um, he after a couple of days, he's like, oh, I've got to go to town for a few days. Would you guys mind looking after the car park? And we stayed there for a couple of weeks in his backyard. He, he had nothing and he'd bring us over rice and beans and all sorts of stuff. People just – people are good. And you you got to trust your gut when there's someone who's not. But, yeah, the more – if you don't get out there, you'll never – You've never discovered that for yourself. Sometimes it's awesome, a mate. just less complicated kind of lifestyle and living is... They're the, the happiest the, people. Yeah. Really, the happiest people I met were the people with the least amount of things. Yeah, right? and I think it's when you look at the current climate, you know, in this country and social media and, you know, our living standards and all this sort of, you know, competitive nature, we've got so much, almost too much, too many things yeah. cluttering our lives, which, which can cloud your perception of... Happiness and success and I reckon fun. It, it, it's like weight on your shoulders having – you've got to reply to a message on Instagram and mm. you've got to put up a post about this. you got to – all that – I'm off social – I'm on social media because I've been pumping my tyres for the derby and we raise money for that, for breast cancer, and it's been really good, but um, mentally I'm off it. I, I, it just – I don't know, I can't – It's too much sometimes, it. Yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I reckon it is. And that maybe having – having a bit of perspective of just forgetting about all that stuff for a couple of weeks was really um, what I needed. But, yeah, it, it's just... Understanding what matters. The thing everyone's is, marketing each other and it's it's all more shit. Everyone's trying to get you to... When get you get off it. social media, you're not missing anything. It's the thing, like, no. what are you going to miss? If another plane flies in the World Trade Centers, you're going to find out, you know, one way or another. Like, you know, you're not, you don't yeah. need to be waiting on social media to, to see what everyone's up to and showing these lives that, you know whether they're real yeah. or, or not, it's not all it's cracked One up One of the be. things that I, uh, on the fire season, because you're always on your phone and it comes up with the weekly report of how much time you've spent on each oh thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, mate, that's a, like, it's ridiculous yuck. how much, yuck, that's exactly right, yuck. It's just, just like 10 hours on your phone this week. Yeah. No, it can't be that. And Couldn't be. Yeah. So... What is the next adventure? What's it going to be? Have we got any ideas? Oh, or? It'll have to be pretty big to top that. I, I don't know. <laughs> is, it, is this the thing? Are you trying to you know, one up, one but up? Like, no, you know? I, I don't know. I, or whatever just comes your way. Whatever just comes my way. I was, I was thinking after that South America one, I wanted to ride Africa on a motorbike, but I don't know if I'll do it. I don't think I'll do another trip that goes for that long. Like Three months would be good, but probably a year. You just, I don't know if you miss out on... I just wouldn't do... Another really big one soon, I I guess. But I don't, I'm not sure. I've been thinking about all sorts of things. But um, like, like what? Oh, Get, let us in know. there. I'd let like us to, in there. I want to I'd like to buy a van. And uh, so the fire season do two weeks on, two weeks off. I'd like to kit a van out and go mountain bike around Tasmania or something like yeah, that. That's cool. another, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, but that's pretty um pr- oh, pretty benign after after the Mongol. I think I'll have to. Just let it all settle in for That's a, a bit while. more of a chilled out trip there down in Tasmania. Yeah, yeah. I've never oh, been down to Tassie. So. The only thing, you, the trip sounds a bit more chilled, but the people you're dealing with might be a little <laughs> more <laughs> difficult. <laughs> oh, well, you said it. I wasn't going to say oh, it. You were indicating I that. was, but, you know, that's the that's the trick, isn't Sorry. it? Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, yeah. it's out there now. Yeah. No, cheers, mates. Um, epic. Epic story. Love, love what you get up to. And love hearing it. It really is awesome. Did those trademark shirts stand up to the test out there in Mongolia? They did. They shameless did. Shameless plug. Um, I have to say, yeah, shameless plug. I have to say, at the start, um, there was a couple of the people, like a couple of the vets and stuff there, and I kicked it out. I think they had a party. I was like, oh, I've got to 
couple of nights before you started at a party, I put my party shirt on, uh, the, the feel, Mr. Feel Good. Yeah, it's yeah. looking buddy faded. You've got some wear out of it yeah, or what? Yeah, absolutely. It held up. Uh, if it can survive eight days without getting washed and getting flogged all the way across the step, job's right. Mate, so, awesome. So, yeah, the horses, they loved it. The Mongolians loved it. You should have a few orders coming in from <laughs> From the boys over there. So, mate, just just a little takeaway of of everything we've sort of been through. It's, you know, what you've really highlighted is basically getting out and and having a crack at things and and making life experiences a priority, right? Because that's, at the end of the day, they're the memories you've got to hang on to. If you don't do it and you get to the end of your life and you, I don't know, you look back and... Just you just don't want to finish up with no no regrets of wishing you'd been there or done that just because because you held yourself back in your in your own mind thought oh I can't I can't do that or um oh, yeah you just make excuses stop making excuses stop making I was going to say if anyone wanted like to, if anyone wants to chat to you you find out more about the Mongol Derby or or any of that sort of stuff probably just jump on socials but you're not on there so no, we'll have no, to, I'm on there. We'll have to I'm set up the Mongolian horse I'm getting myself <laughs> yeah, off yeah, yeah, yeah. a rally out to Alice Springs <laughs> to get the message out yeah. and what's yeah. the worst that's going to happen broken leg busted tendon like that oh. that heals but that's better for the experience yeah exactly that's you come come with with a story so everything everything heals and no, um, mate. it's awesome mate. you've no certainly pain, got no gain you got my juices flowing anyway so <laughs> it sounds fun better turn this bloody camera off hang on here you go oh no, it's great. Thanks, Cheers. Really appreciate yeah, thanks, it, mate. Cheers, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the shirts and all the support during the ride. Too. No Always dramas, brother. mate. Well done. Congratulations. Good on you. Thanks, mate. Well, that was a bloody cracker of a chat with Cheers. Great yarn. Great yarn. If you want to watch that conversation, jump onto YouTube, search for Trade Mutt, and make sure you subscribe so that you can keep up to date with our latest video releases. And if you want to be updated every time a new podcast drops, just get onto your favourite podcast app, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, click the subscribe button, and also jump on there and give us a rating. Five stars if you don't mind. Thank you.